Welcome to The Healthy Me. I'm Trina Felber, registered nurse and CEO of Primal Life Organics. I believe there is a healthy person living in everyone. The Healthy Me is designed to help you call up your healthy self, step out of your comfort zone, shake things up, and get results. So let's find and empower your healthy me. All right. So JJ, it's great to have you with me. I'm so, so excited to talk to you today. I know. Well, we've been trying for a while. <laughs> we have. We've had a lot of catastrophes happen recently, but I want to talk about sugar today because sugar impacts people um, and they don't even know it. And what kills me is, you know, a lot of my audience, I know a lot of your audience is very healthy, um, turn, you know, gluten-free, paleo, the whole nine yards, but there's so many things that are hidden, even in the healthier foods, like gluten-free is loaded with sugar. So yeah. I really, yeah. And I really want to talk about this and how this impacts people, how it impacts kids and how it impacts your body. So talk to us a little, I've heard you say your body isn't a bank account. It's a chemistry lab. So explain that a little bit. Yes. I've been saying that for like 25 years and now finally I'm not getting teased about saying it because it used to be there. This whole thing came out because 30 years ago, when I was just starting out, I was in grad school and we were taught that if someone wanted to lose weight, they had to create a 500 calorie deficit. They had to eat less and exercise more. And so I'm very left brain mathematical. I just laid that out. I had my clients doing it. It wasn't working. So I thought, wow, they're cheating. I mean, it's a reasonable thought. <laughs> Then what was fortunate for, for them and for me is I took a bunch of them away for a week to us, one of their ranches in Santa Barbara, and I controlled everything. And the results were the same. And then I worked out of a spa in Palm Springs, and the results were the same. So I knew they weren't cheating. And so I was like, well, what? there's something else going on here. What the heck's going on? And that was the whole thing of our body isn't a bank account. It's a chemistry lab that, that all food's not created equal. That You know, obviously, and I, I tell you this because it, it was unbelievable to me. I had a client go to a doctor. This was probably 20 years ago. And this, this doctor, clearly not any of our doctor friends, but this doctor said, it does not matter what you eat. You just have to count calories. It could be, you could be eating pie. It's fine. And I just like, you just know that couldn't be true that, you know, sugar. And that's why I named my book, the sugar impact diet, that sugar impacts your body differently. Now, all carbohydrates except for fiber turn into sugar. So that's been one of the biggest challenges with people going gluten-free is all of a sudden they're gluten-free, but they're eating all of these other flours like potato flour, right? And tapioca starch and all this stuff that's no better for them than the other, than the other things were. They, you know, they just traded one, one poison for another. And, you know, case in point, in the 1900s, we were eating the equivalent of five pounds of sugar per person per year. Now it's 150 pounds per person. And back then, we had less than a percent of obesity. Like it just didn't exist. And now we have 
over we're, we have more obese people than overweight people and 70% of the population is either obese or overweight with it's more like over 35% being obese now you know people will say it's genetic but genes don't change like that so clearly we've done something we've really messed things up right we have and I, I know that's that's astonishing. I watched that one movie about sugar and um, how it really impacts your body. Talk, talk about what's wrong with the glycemic index. A lot of people follow the glycemic index, look at that as like the gold staple of what to eat and what not to eat as far as um, the carbs or the sugar goes. So talk about the glycemic index. Yeah, it's a good start, but it can mislead you. Because what the glycemic index does is it takes a 50-gram load of a food, a, a single food, and then it looks at your blood sugar response to it. Now, if you're a normal, healthy person, that's the first piece, right? So you can't have someone who's insulin resistant who already is, has poor blood sugar control because they're going to have a different response. But the second part is this may work fine for, say, potato chips, where someone would easily sit down and eat a 50-gram dose of them and just them. Maybe they'd wash them down with a beer or soda. But where it doesn't work well is in normal life, where people don't pick one food in isolation and eat 50 grams of it. Like no one sits down and goes, you know what? I'm going to eat 50 grams of broccoli right now, nothing on it. Like they just don't do it. So we don't eat that way. Now, that's one part of the problem. We really have to look at the load of the food because we'd easily get this big glycemic load of, say, you know, potato chips, but we wouldn't necessarily get it from broccoli because we're not eating that much. The other piece of it is, and this is the worst piece, is that it makes fructose-containing foods, things like agave, apple juice, look awesome. And in fact, it's one of the things that you can do. If you see a label that says low glycemic index and it's got a load of sugar, run for the hills because it's from it's from fructose because fructose can only be metabolized by the liver. So it doesn't raise blood sugar. And, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago, we were like, this is awesome. This is the greatest sweetener ever. You saw crystalline fructose, apple juice concentrate, agave as these health foods because it didn't raise blood sugar. Everyone thought it was safe for diabetics, not knowing that it actually could make you diabetic because it perturbed your body's response to to carbohydrates and to insulin. It could create insulin resistance. It also can create fatty liver, which is how we now have this crazy situation where we've got kids with fatty liver disease. I mean, it used to be only that we had alcoholics getting fatty liver disease. Then they started calling it non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now we have it in kids. And this is because of this preponderance of fructose. And it'd be different if you were having, you know, some berries, a cup, because they were in season. But that's not what we're doing. We're having this, you know, one of those green machine drinks that's got 44 grams of sugar, more than a soda, and the first five ingredients are fruit. So you basically unwrap the fruit, turned it into a soda, and you're drinking it thinking that you're, gonna, that you're being healthy, right? I mean, it's this is the ridiculous stuff going on. And then they'll put low glycemic index. So you have to be careful with that because I think it's actually a way, just like when the label says all natural, which means zip. Nothing. Means nothing. 
right? You know, all natural. And they show a little grain and some green and you think that you're doing something really good. And it's just another way to lie. And that's the same challenge with the glycemic index is it started out as a good thing, but it's because we didn't understand the biochemistry of fructose and what it would actually do. And the fact that because it doesn't raise blood sugar, it doesn't trigger satiety signals. So not only is it growing straight to the liver where it's making fat and raising triglycerides and causing insulin resistance and raising blood pressure, you're also still hungry, which is ridiculous and unfair. That's really unfair. What about what about monk fruit? Where does monk fruit fit in? Because that one's like probably one of the newest and um, seemingly the healthiest because it's not really a sugar. So talk a little bit about monk fruit as an alternative. There's actually a couple really good alternatives, but there's also a caveat with them. So monk fruit's not a fruit, really. It's an herb. So to me, it falls into where stevia is. So it's it's called lohango. 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 And, uh, <laughs> or monk fruit. And it doesn't have calories. And it actually has some benefits um, in terms of insulin resistance. But... The challenge is with it. It's this because I, you know, I look at erythritol or xylitol, the sugar alcohols or polyols, um, stevia and allulose and monk fruit is all the good alternatives, but with a caveat in that they still can do something called calorie dysregulation. And here's the big challenge. When you eat sweet, what do you want? You want more sweet, like, right? I yeah. Mean, the body actually is hardwired. We are hardwired to seek out sweet so that during the summer, back in times of feast or famine, during the summer when there was all this fruit out and we had longer days, so we were sleeping less, we were more insulin resistant, we could gorge ourselves with fruit, store a bunch of fat. See, fruit is not a free food. We'd store a bunch of fat. So that in the winter, when we were sleeping more and we had less access to food, we'd have to go through famines, we could burn fat. So this is what we have to be really aware of is that these, you know, fructose is not a free food. This is not a free for all. We have to be careful and we're hardwired to seek out sweets. So if you're using some of these natural sweeteners that are, because there's either natural or artificial, there's one or the other, right? That are no calorie, they can still cause what's called calorie dysregulation. And that's where your body loses the ability to correlate the degree of sweetness with the amount of calorie calories and you start to overeat. They did a mouse, a rat study, mouse study, some gerbil, some rodent, and where they fed them regular water sweetened with glucose and they ate what they needed to maintain their body weight. Then they gave them aspartame sweetened water and then they ate what they needed to maintain their body weight. And then when they went back to the glucose sweetened water, they overate. Because they lost that ability. You know what I've I've often um, told people, even with the tooth powder, and you know that I sell, I do sell a monk fruit sweetened version. But your brain can't decipher what sweet is or where it came from, and it only knows it once more. So it doesn't matter if it's a healthier version. Your brain can't decipher that information. Just like your body doesn't know one stress type from another stress type, it just comes out as cortisol. Yeah. So that's why it's, it's really important to not go, all right, I can use these things. You know, I use them as a way to taper, but the real goal is to appreciate the natural sweetness of 
you know, of a real blueberry, not a genetically modified one of, of a sweet potato of cinnamon of vanilla and not go wacky. Like my mom growing up used to literally sugar the strawberries. I'm like, why would you put sugar on the strawberries? Like they're sweet enough, you know? I mean, mean, my mom is a genetic sweet tooth and, uh, thankfully I don't. Because, I mean, I should, with all the stuff she did growing up, raising me on Pop-Tarts and Entenmann's, you know, this the, actually it was the Svenhards Swedish bakery rolls and all this, and Captain Crunch, you would think that I would be a sweet person. I don't like sweet. Uh, you're like me. I do not like sweets either. I can totally I live without them. Tooth powder. Like your tooth powder does not, It's I love it because it's not sweet. I think it tastes, um, like now that I've gotten used to it, I'm kind of hooked on it. Yeah. Well, and, and that's how I feel about sugar. When people look at me like I have two heads when I say I don't really like sugar, I I could do without the sweet. But what about the people that are addicted, so to say, to sugar, they have that sweet tooth. How do they break that addiction? When I wrote the book, that's what I set out to do was help people get rid of that, kind of break free of that. Because if you're trapped in that, you're stuck. And, you know, first of all, there's a couple different reasons you could have an addiction. Number one, exposure equals preference. For so many people, they've turned themselves into a sugar burner. They're eating it all the time. It's sneaking into places they'd never expect. You know, they're having the salad, but they turn the salad into a sundae with the raspberry vinaigrette and the dried fruit and the candied walnuts. You're like, wow, you know, are they having the terrible? teriyaki chicken, like there is sugar all over, especially in any of the foods if you're going out to eat because it makes you want more, right? Right. And so, you know, that's the first place is, is starting to find out where it's sneaking in and then to get that out, right? That's first, making sure you're getting enough protein, healthy fats and fiber to start to stabilize your blood sugar so that you can access stored fat for fuel instead of relying on your next sugar hit. Um, it's super important too. If you're under a lot of stress, I find a lot of people, they're craving sugar because they're under stress, right? And you might be listening going, I don't eat sugar, but if you're eating the wheat bread, if you're eating the pasta, if you're eating the chips, you're getting in the sugar because remember all carbohydrates except for fiber turn into sugar. It's just a matter of whether you're mainlining them or slowly making it from the food you eat. And that's what you want to do is slowly make it from the food you eat. That's why, you know, unprocessing your diet, eating as close to nature as possible, eating more fiber is so important. But I find that if you're eating fat and fiber and protein and you're starting to add in savory and spicy and sour, sour especially can take your sweet tooth away, that you can retrain your taste buds. And that's what I teach people to do. The key thing is you don't do that overnight because most likely you're walking into this as a sugar burner, meaning you're having trouble burning belly fat. You, um, and you can tell, like you can't lose weight off your waist. You'll lose weight. Now we say it's the potato on stilts. You lose it off your arms and legs, but your waist stays the same. You're a sugar burner. You can't go more than two to three hours between meals. You're a sugar burner. You're not able to access stored fat from fuel. So if you've got those issues going on, you've got to make that transition over to being a fat burner, metabolically flexible. And a lot of that comes first with balancing your blood sugar, getting in healthy fats, getting in protein and getting in loads of of non-starchy vegetables and low impact 
carbs with fiber so that you got great stable blood sugar so that you don't have those drops that send you racing for more carbs. Yeah, that's the challenge. And I think especially for moms, a lot of my audience is moms raising kids. And I, you know, their biggest concern is how do I get my kids off sugar? But I always say kids do what you do. Yeah. First of all, don't get them on it. So the best way to get them is to just not get them on in the first place. And what's so interesting is if you don't really have it around, like my kids never had cereal and then they went to grandma's. And uh, grandma not only like got my dog eating people food, I was like, mom, what are you doing? Like she was fine. And then you gave her chicken and it's like now it's a disaster, you know, but she also introduced my kids to Honey Nut Cheerios and they thought like they had landed in heaven. Like, (laughs) what is this? Right. You know, (laughs) they've never experienced Honey Nut Cheerios. And I always taught them I wasn't going to let them have nothing. But to me. Those were treats, you know, if you're going to a birthday party or whatever. And what I noticed was when they didn't really have them much, when they did eat them, they didn't, they noticed, they were able to connect the dots and go, I don't really feel good when I eat this. So it's not, neither of my kids eat a lot of sugar because they don't really like the way they feel when they eat it. They didn't like grow up with a bunch of it. So they don't have, you know, exposure preference. We didn't develop that sweet tooth. Yeah. And that's what I've done with my kids too. We've, we've eat very healthy. In fact, people comment all the time on how healthy they eat, but when they do have sugar and then they sit down on the toilet and they have diarrhea, I always remind them, like, think back, what did you just have a couple hours ago? And Oh, I had that piece of cake. Oh, well, look what it does to you. So I always, whenever that happens, I always try to relate back the negative thing that happened to their body back to what they ate so that they can kind of make that connection. Because through life, that's how you have to deal with your life. You have to make the connections. So I have with me the Sugar Impact Diet. So talk to us a little bit about the book and about what the sugar impact, what, what, what your recommendations are in here and, and, and really walk us through what it is. All right. So I knew we were looking at sugar all wrong, that we were either looking at it from a glycemic index standpoint, or we were looking at just sugar instead of carbohydrates. I'm like, but white flour can raise your blood sugar more than sugar cubes can. So we really had to look at anything, any carbohydrate and look at how quickly your body could make sugar from it. Of course, things that are that are unprocessed, higher in fiber are the slow ones. And, and I, what I did was I created a whole new way to look at sugar, sugar impact. And I rated foods based on how much fructose they had in them, how much um, the food raised your blood sugar and insulin too. And then I contrasted that with the nutrients in it and the fiber in it. Because, like, that's why we eat. We eat to get nutrients and fiber. And so I was able to classify foods as low, medium, and high on the sugar impact scale. And then my whole goal was how do I get people to first be aware of where sugar is sneaking into their diet? So we take a sneaky sugar assessment. Know how it's making them feel. So I take a sugar impact quiz to see how is this impacting you? Because where you'll notice it, and a lot of people don't connect the dots, like you're so smart to be doing with your kids that, wow, when I eat sugar, like I get gas and bloating, or I've, you know, got diarrhea, or my I can't lose weight off my belly, or I can't think straight, I have cravings, my blood sugar crashes, I'm mad, you know, my skin breaks out. So all those things that you can start to connect the dots when you eat this way. 
So that's the first part. And then what I have people do is start with tapering. Start first by eating what I call the sugar impact diet plate where you're getting, you know, loads of non-starchy vegetables, a little bit of of these carbs from the sugar impact scales. Um, but this is where in the first part you taper from high sugar impact carbs, things like, say, um, a French fry to a baked sweet potato fry would be one taper. And then the next taper would be a baked sweet potato fry to a baked butternut squash fry. So I have people slowly taper down while they're getting an optimal protein and lots of healthy fat. So they're stabilizing their blood sugar. And then I also have them start to stretch out when they eat. So, you know, you're eating within an hour or two of waking up. That's really important for your blood sugar because your breakfast actually determines how you respond to lunch. What I really focus on is getting rid of the snacks, getting lots of fluids in between meals and shutting the kitchen down after dinner and making sure you have at least four to six hours, four, three to four hours before bed. Um, and then once you've done that, you go for another two weeks. And this is a transition time where you're moving from being a sugar burner to a fat burner where you get all the fructose out of your diet which is crazy powerful because it turns out the more fructose you eat, the better your body is at like shuttling that fructose to your liver and making fat. And fructose is super sweet. So the more fructose you eat, the more you want. But it's also super aging. It's seven times more aging than any other sugar, and it makes your gut more permeable. So it'll create all sorts of food intolerances to, to the high-fi foods like dairy and soy and corn and peanuts and gluten and all that. And then, yeah, you can end up with leaky gut and a bunch of other sy uh, symptoms yeah, as well. So it'll just like that's why in the virgin diet I pulled sugar out because it just was making your gut more permeable to create the problems that created the food intolerance in the first place. So I have you first taper down, and then during those two weeks. We drop fructose out altogether so that your body gets bad at handling fructose because then if you went off out and drank like a ridiculous um, big green drink that's really a, a fruit juice or – right? I mean they, those ones are making me crazy because, right. you know, most people are not having a kale, celery, spinach – green drink. And that tastes so they're, good. Oh, they're, they're so good. They're having a banana, pineapple, mango, right? They're apple juice mm -hmm. thing with a little spinach. So it's green, but it's really fruit juice. And fruit juice is you've unwrapped the fruit, gotten rid of the fiber, you turned it into a soda, just like dried fruit is candy. And all these fruit syrups and concentrates are just syrup. So we want those out. And what happens over those two weeks is you reclaim your taste buds. You start to appreciate the natural sweetness of foods. And you also start to like the savory and the spicy and the sour. Plus, I have some trip little tips if you do have sweet tooth during that time. But you start to make be able to make that transition where you might even forget to eat. Because now all of a sudden you're able to use stored fat for fuel. So you're not like always waiting for your next meal because you can't use what you have, right? You have to get an incoming hit from a carb. And that's what's super cool. But what's most important is at the end of that, because so many people right now are talking about, should I do keto? Should I do like, you know, should I fast? Should I do intermittent fasting? I go, you shouldn't even think about any of that stuff until one, you've detoxified and two, you've become metabolically flexible. You've gone from being a sugar burner to a fat burner. Then you have options 
but you also then can see, hey, how many carbs and, and what kind of impact? Like should I stick with just low sugar impact carbs or maybe I can eat some medium sugar impact carbs? And what? how do I feel if I eat a higher sugar impact carb? And you start to feel how do I feel throughout the day? Like I do best eating very low carb in the morning, pretty low carb at lunch, but I need some at night. Otherwise, I don't sleep well. Right. So you kind of figure out what works best for you, which is different for everybody. It depends on your age, you know, what's going on with your health, what's going on with your hormones, what's going on with stress. We're all different. Like there's no you can't say everybody should do keto or everybody. You know, that's just it's just silly. It makes no sense. Right. Yeah. So this is how you can figure out what's going to work best for you at this time in your life with what is going on and the goals you have and the lifestyle you have. And I love like that detox, like the, the two week detox period of sugar. And I notice this is one thing that happens to me when I have sugar. So like around birthdays, we have all, all our birthdays are in the summer. So there's always cake. And my favorite is a white cake. So if I have a slice of cake, about two to three days later, I stink. I don't normally stink. Like my body odor is normally fairly neutral because I eat healthy. But as soon as I have sugar, I know that about two to three days later, I should carry my stick up with me, my deodorant, because I'm going to have to reapply it because I stink. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool now that I know that. And I tell people that too, like watch your diet and it's not necessarily what you ate today. It might be what you ate two or three days ago and it's your body's metabolizing that. So that's really cool. Um, and it, I think it's important for people to understand that the cravings go away, right? They totally go away. Now, even if you genetically, like when I was on Freaky Eaters, we did a genetic test to see if they had a sweet tooth, if they were a sweet taster. There's certain people that were born with a sweet tooth. My mom, I'm adopted, has a sweet tooth. I don't, right? And there's certain people that are sweet tasters. Actually, the more sweet they eat, the more they want, the more they want. So you can still turn that around. I think for most of us, it's because of stress. It's because of our gut microbiome. It's because of, you know, the fact that we're eating it all the time. Exposure equals preference. Those things really make a big difference. And it's pretty easy to retrain your taste buds. It doesn't take long, literally in two weeks. I turn those diehard people, sugar addicts around, but you don't go cold turkey. And that's where people make the mistake is they're sitting there they're a sugar burner. They're used to eating that way. And they go, that's it. I'm quitting. And their body just crashes. So you don't do it that way because you set yourself up to fail. And we have to really look at sugar as more of a drug. Don't you agree? Like it, it is a drug. It's the, I love what Dr. Mark Hyman said. So I'm, I always like to give credit to everybody with their brilliant statements. He says, sugar is our number one recreational drug of choice. The challenge with sugar is, you know, if you're an alcoholic, hey, don't go to the bar. Like, don't go. Don't keep it in the house. But it's all around us. And then it sneaks into things. Right, it's hidden. Yeah, if you're an alcoholic, they're not going to sit down and sneak in some booze into your salad, you know. (laughs) But they do this with sugar. It's like they'll put wheat flour on your steak. That's sugar because that's turning quickly into sugar. You know, they're putting it into your salad. They're putting it into the sauces. Sauces and drinks and um dressings are really like they are easy places to smuggle in sugar. And yeah. And it's interesting when you have it and you and you don't normally eat it. I'm sure you feel this way too. Oh. You totally can tell and you don't want it. Like Yeah, I just I do not like 
the taste of sweet. In fact, if I have sweet, then I have to have something else. And, uh, you know, to get that taste out, like it's like, blech, especially in the morning, really can't stand it in the morning. Um, but you also can feel it in your body. It doesn't feel good. So once you get it out, which takes, you know, again, I do a taper down week and then a two week transition. And once you go through that, you become very sensitive to it and you're aware. And it doesn't mean you're never going to have the bite of cake or this like, you know, we'll go out places and try something and I'll have a bite, but that's all I want. Yeah. And I look at sugar. Sugar slows everything down. It slows your gut down because your digestion slows and the microbiome, the wrong microbiome feeds off of it. So you get the Mm -hmm. candida and all the other bad stuff that feeds off of the sugar. So then you get more of a growth of that. It slows your gut down. It slows your brain down. It slows your liver down. It just, and it slows your metabolism and everything down. So it's just really anything good. I remember my mom Boy, it's all about my mom today, isn't it? <laughs> my mom said to me, she goes, but we need sugar. I'm like, we, no, we don't actually need sugar. We actually can live without carbohydrates. We can't live without fat, protein, or water, but we could live without carbohydrates if we had to. We really need some fiber, but we could do it, you know? Yeah. So what people are out there thinking, like, what what is a good, I mean, and guys, don't forget to check out JJ's book, um, The Sugar Impact. It, it's an awesome book. But what would you suggest for like a mid-afternoon snack that would be healthy just to give people ideas of something that they can take instead of running for the coffee that they load up with sugar? What can you get that's going to actually spark your metabolism, spark your brain and keep you going? Well, hopefully you don't need a mid-afternoon snack. Hopefully you have lunch and then you've had a good hit of protein, healthy fats, lots of vegetables, a little bit of in some, you know, some fiber and you don't really need a snack. But if you do need a snack, um, I always like to do what I would have in a mini meal. So same thing, protein, fat, and fiber. So that could be something as simple as taking a piece of turkey and ro- throwing in some avocado and doing a roll up, mm-hmm. you know, throwing oh, in so some nut butter. Yeah. I mean, those like nut butter or hummus on celery sticks, easy stuff. Yeah. And you know, we just have in our fridge, we always have hummus. We always have nut butter. Um, we have some different nut cheeses because those are just like easy to throw on. We always have some cooked cooked um, chicken. So we can always just put those things together if need be. And then you can just do a lettuce wrap, yeah. right? Simple. And hard, uh, hard boiled eggs are awesome. I, I love those like wrapped in salami. It tastes really good. Or even a cashew wrapped in salami is one, one of my favorite things to eat too. Wow. So I'm not a salami fan. No. You know no. what? When you wrap a, a cashew in it or ham, I've done ham too wrapped I'm with not cashew. A ham fan. Yeah, I'm not a cured, except <laughs> for bacon. I love my, I love me some bacon, but um you know, there's nothing really better than like bacon, almond butter, and dark chocolate. Like, let's be real. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, um, other than that, like, I'm not a big cured meats person. Just don't like it. I'm one of those super tasters. So I'm very weird and sensitive about like the foods that I like to eat. So, so JJ, tell people where they can find you, get more information. Um, 
and and do, if they want to follow you, because you've got so much great. I, I love JJ. She's got so much great information. She's one of the healthiest people that I know. I model myself after her. Um, oh, please. Oh, I please. almost wore that jacket. That's so funny. Because <laughs> I was wearing that jacket earlier. And I was like, going, oh, she's my, God. my twin from another mother. <laughs> Would have been wearing the same jacket. Well, I'm kind of obsessed with you, too, because I think what you're doing with the whole gut, um, the mouth biome and you're like, we are so literally I'll tell I'll tell you now to tell the listeners like I gave Trina's teeth whitening system to everybody for Christmas like all everybody all my friends all my family everybody got it because once I started using it I'm like this is the coolest stuff ever I mean ever so I'm obsessed with all of it I travel with it I love it it's amazing so there um and and you can't eat sugar while you have it in your mouth I know. That's a great one. So see, I always tell people, if you are one of those people that at night you are sniffing around trying to get a little something, something, just go, I would say, go get in the bathtub. But you know, the truth is people could still eat in the bathtub, which is really weird, but possible. So now you can't though. Like all you have to do is put the teeth whitening thing in and you're done. Like you can't eat. So yeah. it's perfect. I've told them to do it after that. Like you just cleaned your teeth. Now you're not going to do it. And right? they feel super clean. So that you don't want to eat anything after that anyway. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm huge fan. So we do a lot. I mean, one of my biggest goals was to make sure that I'd put enough information out there. So no one would ever have an excuse. I didn't know what to do. So, I mean, we literally, I have a podcast, a blog, we do tons of stuff on all the social media sites, YouTube, Facebook, all of it. So there's a load of information and you've been on my podcast. You're oh awesome. yeah. So all of that's at jjvirgin.com. You can get loads of stuff. It's like pick, pick your pleasure of whatever platform you like to go hang out on. And we've got stuff going on there. I know JJ's an inspiration to women. So, um, I totally, everybody should go check her out, check out and the virgin diet too. Your book, the virgin diet is amazing as well. So, um, lots of great stuff out there and please don't get stuck on one diet and I don't even like to call it a diet I call it a lifestyle and yeah. I try and mingle with a lot of different healthy lifestyles um, and incorporate them into my life at various points that's the way diet should be so here's my here's my quick diet thing ready yeah I want it so there's basically like basically we need two words there's a diet that we use short term and therapeutically to learn something about ourselves and see what works in that so we can bring it into our everyday life which is the word we need. There's, we use, we use diet interchangeably where we shouldn't. Diet's a short term thing. When people say diet didn't work, it, it did. What didn't work was you tried to then make that the way you live all the time. And that's not what diets are set up for. Like, you know, so let's say you do the virgin diet. It's set up for you to figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't. It's not set up that you're off these seven foods for the rest of your life. No, that's not the way it was ever set up. That's why when people go, I'm doing that. I'm like, how many years? It's been five years. I'm like, (laughs) way I set it up was every year you do it to figure out where you are in terms of your gut. Sugar impact diet was put together to figure out how many carbs should you eat? Which level, where should they fall on the scale? You know, how do you get to be metabolically flexible? Can you do keto? Blah, blah, blah. You know, what do you need to do to intermittent fast? So there's all these diets out there. You use diets to figure out which foods you should be eating. You use diets to figure out how much of foods you should be eating, carbs, protein, fat. And then you use diets to figure out when you should be eating them. Should you fast, alternate day fast, intermittent fast? And that's it, man. There it is. But the problem is you are a moving target because of your genetics, your epigenetics, your age, 
your hormones, your lifestyle goals, your lifestyle, stuff changes all the time. So it's like you don't just do this and then you're – you know, you're done. That would be like cutting your hair and going, well, don't have to do that again. Cross that off my list for a lifetime. I know. And, and you know, what blows my mind is that our body is always changing and the things that don't sit well with you today might be okay down in the, in the future. When I had an allergy test on like probably four years ago, I had one and it said I was allergic to lettuce. They told the salad queen that she was allergic to lettuce. Yes. And I was blown away. I'm like, how am I allergic to lettuce? And what am I going to do about this because I'm the salad queen. I can eat it for breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner. But then I realized that, you know, it's just a moment in time and give your digestion, you know, take some probiotics, things like that, and it goes away. So it, it's not forever sometimes. And that's yeah. why it's important to not look at a diet as forever. It's important to look at it as a lifestyle. It's leading you to where you need to be. Yeah. That's all it is. It's a learning. So you can't, you can't fail at it because you're just learning from it. Right. And I love that with kids too, is teaching them how to learn from their body. So, well, JJ, thank you so much for joining me. You've got so much information that is um, really good for everybody to understand their health better and get them on the journey for a good lifestyle, really not, not a diet, but a lifestyle. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Trina here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the Healthy Me podcast and be sure to rate it and review it on iTunes or wherever you're listening. You can like the Healthy Me Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at thehealthyme underscore com. Remember, the info on the Healthy Me podcast is not to be taken as medical advice. You should always talk with your doctors before trying anything we discuss. Until next time, live in your healthy me.